Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says in verse 1, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show His servants things which must shortly take place. And He sent and signified it by His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God, and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is the first message in our series on the seven letters to the seven churches. And so, before we get into those seven letters, there's a lot of groundwork and foundation that needs to be laid to build upon. Like, for instance, who wrote the book? Who is the author writing to? What is the book about? Where was it written? Why is it important? All these questions we need to understand in order to look at the seven churches. And so... The first book of the Bible actually helps you understand how everything started, right? This last book of the Bible helps you understand how everything ends. Revelation and Genesis are actually two that Satan attacks the most. You know why? So many people debate over Genesis and how creation started. There's so many different theories out there. There's the Big Bang Theory. There's uh, all old earth, young earth, and you can go look up all those. But we have the book of Genesis, which tells us how God actually spoke everything into creation. It tells us the very beginning. And Satan attacks that because he doesn't want us to know. And he also doesn't want us to know how everything ends. And that gives us actually hope and confidence in the Lord. And that's why it's so important to know the book of Genesis and also to know the book of Revelation. It's not Revelations, but it's Revelation. There are many things that are revealed in this, but it's one massive revealing. See, the New Testament opens up with four Gospels. And the four Gospels talk about Jesus' first coming. His first coming was to bring grace and truth. And that's what he did. He brought salvation. But the last book, Revelation, talks about his second coming. And his second coming is different from his first coming. His first coming, he came in humility, entered into uh, Mary's womb, was born, lived, probably scraped and cut himself, died a sinner's death, and was resurrected. His second coming is going to be a contrast to the first one. He's coming to bring judgment. He's coming to bring righteousness. He's coming to bring an end to sin and the humans that are ruling and reigning, an end to Satan himself. See, this book concludes the redemptive story. The whole entire Bible is one massive story. How God will redeem and buy back his people. And this is the conclusion. 
which uncovers an eternal picture of Jesus Christ and the future events. Now, many people and believers alike find this book confusing. They find it difficult to understand and almost even impossible. Because if you've read it, there's dragons mentioned in there. There's beasts. There's horses. There's these seven seals. There's, there's seven trumpets. There's these seven bowls. You have the throne room of God in chapter 4 and 5. You have all these things that can kind of sound confusing. But it's not impossible to understand. It may be tricky in some parts, but Revelation chapter 1, John introduces us to this book and gives us facts that are essential to understand the treasures that are in this prophecy. So that's why I want to spend some time on chapter 1. We'll probably spend about three, possibly four weeks just in chapter 1 laying the foundation because it is crucial to understanding the rest of the whole entire book. And within these first three verses, we are given information that will help us understand this amazing book. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. These opening words tell us what the book is all about, or should I say, who it's all about. The Greek word for revelation is where we get our English word apocalypse. Right? Apocalypse. Now, when you hear the word apocalypse, everyone thinks of the destruction of the world, right? If you actually were to Google this and look at images, all you would get is the destruction of the world. The White House is blown up. There's fires everywhere. Everything's demolished. It's a, a post-apocalyptic. It's crazy. But the word apocalypse does not mean the end of the world. It actually means to unveil or uncover something. That's what it means, to unveil or uncover something. It is the process by which God makes known to human beings truths they otherwise could not know. For instance, none of us were at the beginning of creation. None of us saw God speak things into existence. None of us were there, but we have it by God revealing it to us. It's called divine revelation. It's from God himself given to us. And he's giving us those specific truths. And the way he does that is through his word. See, many things in our life are hidden. There are many things that are mysterious. There are many things that are secretive. There are many things that are concealed. Have you ever walked up to a group of friends before and they're kind of whispering and all of a sudden you walk up and they stop talking and you're like, hey, what were you talking about? They're like, nothing. And you're like, oh, okay, you're being super secretive. Why are you being secret like, secretive? Are you talking about me? Like, and you go through all these like, thoughts and you wish you could know what they're talking about. Or possibly when your parents are talking about something and you come in and they stop talking, you're like, ooh, what were they talking about? Or maybe you're the type of person that sneaks around the corner and like hides in the hallways listening into their conversation. <laughs> oh, some of you guys are. <laughs> See, we don't have to sneak around. God here through this book, he uncovers it. 
He uncovers the hidden things. He reveals the mysterious things. He exposes the secrets. And He helps us to see those things which are unseen. It's like pulling back the curtain and revealing something that's there. We'll talk about the wall later. See, God wants to give us a heavenly perspective on our earthly circumstances. And this is how he does it in, in and through this book. Now, you might be wondering, what is he uncovering? Well, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is revealing Jesus Christ himself. Now, the word of can also mean from. So it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, but it's also from Jesus Christ. He's revealing who he is. And I think there's no better person to let us know who he is than Jesus himself. Think about it. If I wanted to get to know you, would I ask your parents or should I ask you specifically? Because you know who you are and you can tell me more about yourself. And Jesus wants to tell us who he is. And that's why he reveals himself here. Throughout this book, we're going to see that Jesus is the Son of Man. We're going to see that he's the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. We are going to see him as the Word of God. And he gives himself this title in capital letters in the Greek manuscripts. And it's also in our Bible where it says he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This book describes Jesus unlike any other book does. No other book describes actually his physical appearance. The Gospels tell us what he actually did. But we get a glimpse of what he's like here. We get to see his mercy and his grace, his love and his wrath, his knowledge and his power, his faithfulness to do what he said. Christ is the main subject from beginning to end. Flip to the very last chapter of Revelation, and you will see that he is found through the beginning and the end. Chapter 22, verses 20 through 21, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So this book is all about Jesus. It's about seeing him in chapter one. It's about hearing him in chapter two and three and knowing the plans that are going to unfold in chapters four through 22. Now, if you want to get to know Jesus, I would encourage you to study this book. I would encourage you to take notes as you are in here so that you get familiar with what is being said. Because this book reveals the person of Jesus Christ. And that's my heart as we go through these three chapters, that you would get a fresh glimpse of Jesus, that you would see him in a new light, a new attribute that you've maybe not seen before you've, or you've overlooked. Possibly that he is loving or compassionate, possibly merciful or faithful. 
and that you would see that he is the answer to most, and I would say almost all of our problems. The second thing is as believers, we're called our, we call ourselves Christians, right? Christians mean to be like Christ. And in a way, as Christians, we are called to reveal Jesus to the lost and dying world around us. See, you have friends and family that will never pick up a Bible. You have friends and family that will never come to church possibly. The only book they're going to read is actually you. They're going to read you. And what are you saying to them? Are you revealing who Jesus is, how important he is? I had to ask myself the same question. Am I revealing Christ to all of you? Not only as I teach, but as I hang out with you, as we go and do events or life together. Am I revealing Jesus? He says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ to his servants. This may refer to the seven churches that John is writing to, but it also refers to all believers, all servants. That includes us. But my question to you is, are you one of his servants? Are you one of his servants? How do you know if you're his servant? Because if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are abiding him. And if you are, then this book is for you. But if you are not, this book is going to be, remain a mystery. If you are not a Christian, this book is going to be veiled. It's going to be covered and you will not understand it because you do not have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Because the Holy Spirit of God actually is the one that reveals the truth of God as we get into it. He teaches us. And so we have to be his servants in order to actually read this book and understand it. Things which must shortly take place. See, another mystery that this book reveals is the future events that take place in heaven and on earth. Now, the future. We all would like to know the future, right? Possibly, what's my future job going to be? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Or am I going to have a couple of different jobs? Who am I going to marry? When people go to card readers, right, and fortune tellers to see what their actual future is, and they flip over those tarot cards, and they're like, oh, you were going to find a handsome man. You're like, oh, that's garbage. <laughs> no person can tell you your future except Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can predict the future accurately. See, think about it. Think about the weather people. I don't know if you've looked at your app this whole entire week because it's been so hot, but I've done it several times and the weather keeps changing. They said Sunday was gonna be 120 degrees. I was like, holy moly. I logged back on, 114, and then 115. I was like, make up your mind, what is it gonna be? It, they couldn't predict the weather accurately. There was a storm that ripped through Texas and Louisiana recently. And they predicted that it was going to be a really bad storm. And it was, but it wasn't as bad as they predicted. Because man can not predict the future. 
That's what sets the Bible apart from any other religious book. Because no other religious book actually is able to predict the future like this one. No other religion can. And this one's still accurate and still as powerful. And there's still events. It's still predicting that have not happened yet. The word shortly there means quickly or swiftly. He says these things are going to be taking place swiftly or quickly. Throughout the book of Revelation, we see these words quickly. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 16, Repent or else I will come quickly. 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his works. 22, verse 20, Surely I am coming quickly. Now, this should not be interpreted as it's going to happen immediately. That's not the idea here. The idea here is that once the end time events begin, it will happen boom, 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 quickly. See, we are in the last days or the last hours, as John said, or actually the last moments, you can say. We are not going to be here when God judges the earth because there's this event called the rapture. And the rapture is where God rescues his bride, which is the church, and sweeps them away into heaven to save them from the destruction and the wrath of God. That one event triggers all the other events to come. And after that one event, boom, 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 all these other events are going to quickly unfold. And now as believers, we're supposed to look to the future. We're supposed to live each and every day as if Jesus is coming back the next minute or tomorrow or the day after. The hard part is we're supposed to believe that, but a lot of time our beliefs don't line up, line, line up with our behavior. We say we believe in the rapture, but we don't live as if we do. If I said you have cancer and you only have four months to live, wouldn't you change your life? You're like, forget school. I'm going to go out and live. I'm going to do things I've never done before. If Jesus is coming back tomorrow, then we should get things in order. We should take things seriously. And the, this thing that we call church on Sunday, that we kind of just go through the motions on, shouldn't be like that. This should be important to us because it's important to God and God loves having you here. He loves spending time with you. Not only here, but at your houses, wherever you are. So, it says it will shortly take place. The word take place means to come into existence, come into being or happen. Revelation 22 verse 6, Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. People will question the authenticity of the Bible and the book of Revelation. Jesus himself tells John that this, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of his holy prophets sent his angel to show his servant the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, 
John. Now, the word signified, if you have your own Bible, you might want to underline or box that in. I like boxing in important words that have Greek meaning that normally our English kind of doesn't fully portray. And the Greek meaning of this word signified, it actually means to make clear through signs or symbols. And I have a bunch of symbols on the board. We all know what these symbols are, right? That's Wi-Fi. That's power. That's nuclear bombs. That's recycling. That's sound. That's a USB port. That's your battery. We understand these symbols in that they mean something. Throughout the book of Revelation, there are going to be symbolic things that have meaning. But the whole entire book is not symbolic. It's literal. And we interpret it as literal. But there are symbolic things that we are going to look at. For instance, you got like these seven trumpets and you have these seven uh, bowls and you have these seven seals. You have this beast and a dragon and all these different things. And some of these are symbolic and they mean something. And you can look into that. Now, it says that this angel gave it to John. So we know that John is the author of this book. And John is about anywhere from 85 to 90 years old. This dude is old. Does anybody have any grandparents that are that old? I don't. I had, you do? Wow. So my great grandma was, I think she died at the age of 92. But back then, during this time, that was really old. John's a really old man because the average lifespan was, people have said, to be like anywhere from like 50 to 60, possibly even 40. That's a short life, right? Back then. But John here is 85, 90. And I, I kind of enjoy old people. You know why? Old people sometimes don't have filters, so they tell it like it is. And old people have a lot of wisdom to offer. I saw someone recently post uh, on Instagram uh, dating advice from 80 and above. <laughs> and it was all these old people with a whiteboard and their dating advice to the younger generation. And I thought that was funny. I was like, that is comical. Um, but they have wisdom and knowledge. And John here, being in his old age, gets this vision. To give you guys some kind of historical setting. And now it's important to understand the historical setting of each letter because it actually kind of amplifies the story. So what was taking place when John received this letter? What was John doing? Well, John, the apostle, went to Ephesus and was teaching at the church of Ephesus when word came that he was there and the emperor banished him or actually wanted to kill him and they put him into a pot of oil and tried to boil him alive. But apparently they couldn't light it. And he was singing the whole time, praising the Lord as he was gonna, about to get boiled alive. And because it didn't work, they banished him to the island of Patmos. And that's where he's at now. Now, I want you to understand this emperor. The emperor before the one that kind of put John there, um, his name was Nero. And during Nero's time, there was a lot of religious persecution, and the government was picking on the church. 
during Nero's reign, or actually during Nero's life, there's some events that take place that I want you guys to know because it paints how messed up of a person he was. At the age of nine, he poisoned his father and killed him. Now, whether he did this with his mom's help because they were having marital problems or not can be speculated. But at the age of nine, he poisoned his father. At the age of 12, how many of you guys are 12 in here? Raise your hand. At the age of 12, he killed his best friend and committed murder. At the age of 15, they got married young. He married his first wife and strangled her to death. At the age of 16, he stabbed his second wife to death. At the age of 19, sorry, at the age of 17, he killed his third wife. At the age of 19, he killed his own mother. And at the age of 31, he took his own life, slitting his own throat. This dude was messed up and he persecuted the church. During his reign, he killed over three million Christians, supposedly. Three million Christians. Now, I don't want to make your problems seem insignificant because your problems are not insignificant. Your problems are real. But the things that the early church was going through wasn't anything like we've gone through. They actually faced persecution. In John, he actually was the last living apostle. All of his other apostle friends actually have been martyred. They've been murdered in different ways, in different forms. Church history actually tells us how each of these possibly died. Peter crucified upside down. Uh, Nathaniel, I believe, or something like that. I forget. I don't remember all 12 apostles' names. He was skinned alive and then crucified. His brother was the first one to be martyred because John had a brother named James, and he was killed in Acts chapter 12, where he was beheaded. His brother died for Jesus. Each and every one of these apostles, they lived their life for the glory and their Savior, Jesus. They disregarded their own life because they said, you know what, Jesus is beyond anything. It is worthy of it all, giving it up. And they did. Actually, now the next emperor after Nero was the one that threw John onto the island of Patmos. And he's actually even worse than Nero, apparently. I can't imagine somebody worse than Nero, but apparently there was. And so God the Father gave the contents of this book to Christ the Son, and Christ gave it to an angel, and the angel gave it to John, and John gave it to the early church, and now has given it to us today. So we get to benefit from this amazing book. In verse 2, it says, Who bore the witness of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. So John says, you know what? I witnessed this firsthand. Not only that, he witnesses Jesus' life on this earth. He witnessed this moment in this whole entire book, and he writes it down. He says, all the things that I saw. And that plays a big portion of this book because John writes the things he sees throughout this book. 
In verse 3 it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. The word blessed means happy. Happy is the person who reads this book, this prophecy. Now, did you know this is the only book that actually has a blessing with it? No other book outside of Revelation says you will be blessed when you read it, when you hear it, when you keep it and obey it. So with this book ties in a blessing. And now when it says those who read and hear, that's actually referring to public reading as a congregation like this, where I'm reading through it and you guys are listening to it. We are both blessed in the process. Back when I was in Bible college, we had these things called home groups. And so we would go to one of the teacher's houses throughout the week to escape like student life and hang out with them and their family. Usually sometimes they would create food, uh, get us food and stuff. And so I went to our teacher, Joel Wingo, and he was uh, the register and he was, I love this guy, really cool dude and awesome family. His wife made homemade uh, pastries each week. It was awesome. But what he decided to do for all of us, he goes, I'm not going to give you a Bible study because you guys are getting that at school through Bible college. He goes, let's do something different. He goes, let's read two chapters of Revelation a week because it says those, we will be blessed in doing it. And so we simply just read through the book and then hung out. And it was awesome. And he says to those who keep, that word keep means to obey, to observe, or to guard. Luke chapter 11, verse 28 says, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the words of God and put them into practice. See, it's one thing to have intellectual knowledge and to know scripture. Oh, I know John 3, 16. Good job. Everyone knows that. But the Bible does not say, oh, God's going to reward you on, for how much you know. God's going to reward us on what we do with the information we have. So are we going to be obedient? Are we going to put it into practice in our lives? Revelation 22, verse 7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. And so we are called to put it into practice. But I can't help but wondering, all right, John, how, how are we blessed? Like you say, I'm blessed when I read this book, but how? How do I become happy when I read this book? Sometimes when people read it, they just get confused. They get more frustrated than anything. Well, when we come face to face with Jesus himself, you can't do anything else but be happy. When you actually get a glimpse of who he is, his power, his majesty, literally with inside of us, boils out this joy, this excitement, this awe that we have. And so when we see Jesus, we will be blessed throughout this book. And not only that, knowing the future, knowing the future gives us so much confidence it gives us so much peace. It gives us so much joy. Knowing that one day, Satan, dude, he's going to be put in the lake of fire, be done away with forever. Hallelujah. Yes. That's going to be great. When there's going to be a day where we're not going to deal with sin anymore. No more wicked thoughts. No more struggling with temptation. 
No more giving in the sin. I'm looking forward to that day. That day when we're actually with Jesus in heaven. We get to see the throne of God. Knowing the future. That gives us joy and that happiness as well. And so reading this book brings a blessing. But reading this book is also dangerous because it gives a severe warning at the very end of the book. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 through 19, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. I'm going to stop there for a second. We are told anybody, doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, anybody who adds to the book of Revelation, all the plagues that you read later on in chapters, from chapters 4 through 22, those plagues are going to be upon you if you add to God's word or add to the book of Revelation. That's kind of daunting. It goes on. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in it. So if we add or subtract anything from this book, you're either going to get plagues or your name is not going to be written in the book of life, which means you're not going to heaven. Now, that kind of is daunting, right? That's scary. But we don't have to fear that as believers. We are his children. He loves us. We are sealed with his Holy Spirit. And if we are loving God and loving people, we shouldn't be afraid of adding or subtracting. But that's why it's important to understand what this book is saying. He goes, the time is near. Time for what? What time is near? Well, time refers to a, a period that Daniel mentioned in his book called the time of the end. Mentioned several times throughout his book. The time of the end. And it says in Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. See, he says, seal the book. When you seal a book, it was actually probably a scroll also. So they would seal it and put a seal on it. You were not allowed to open it. It was concealed. You were not able to see it. And so John, or Daniel was told to seal it for the end times. You know what John's told here? Revelation 22, verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy, of this book. For the time is at hand. So the end is now, according to John, according to Jesus. The end right now is taking place. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 says, My dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. John the Apostle said that hundreds of years ago, that it was the last hour. If it was the last hour a hundred years ago, we are in the last moments of the last days. 
before the rapture takes place. At any moment. We are in the very last moments. Until Jesus comes back and then all these events take place. These first three verses give us some basic facts to underline and understand this entire book. The subject is Jesus and the future events. He tells us how it is. There are symbolic things throughout it. And he gives us a blessing to those who read it. Now, my prayer for all of us, and I pray that this is a prayer for you personally, is that you would ask the Lord for a fresh glimpse of Jesus. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 12 and 13, it talks about the person who seeks the Lord. He goes, if you seek me with all of your heart, you shall find me. All of your hearts, not part of your heart, not half of your heart or a quarter of your heart. He says, when you seek me with all of your heart, you shall find me. So I want to encourage you, be praying for everyone here. Be praying for myself, be praying for the leaders, be praying for yourself that we all would get a fresh glimpse of Jesus because I personally believe that we need a fresh gl glimpse of Jesus more than anything. If we don't, you, have you guys watched the news lately? Have you guys seen what the world is coming to? It's chaos out there. And if the news isn't reporting it, some people are sharing it online and it's absolute, utter chaos in other cities. Things on fire everywhere running around with guns. It's insane. And honestly, the world is only going to get worse. Someone said either rapture or revival. Either God take us out of here, or the revival is where God pours out His Holy Spirit on the church, and all of a sudden they get a fresh glimpse of who Jesus is, which changes them from the inside out. And it causes them to love everybody to love the rioters, to love everybody in, in any movement out there. And that they would get saved and transformed by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. So be praying. But the thing is, I can't show you who Jesus is. I can point you to him, and I can talk to, him, talk to you about him from the Bible, but it's God who reveals that. In Matthew 16, verses 16 through 7, it says, Jesus sat down with his disciples, and he goes, what do people say that I am? And they're like, oh, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And he flips it. He goes, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So how Peter came to the knowledge of who Jesus was, was through God the Father. And it's through the Spirit that we get to know who He is. So pray and ask the Lord, Lord, reveal yourself to me. And my other encouragement to you is, I want to challenge you. Pick up the Bible and read the book of Revelation. Get ahead. Read all chapter 1 tonight before you go to sleep. 
If you have a problem reading like I do, I'm dyslexic, I'm a terrible reader in general, get a Bible app and listen to it on Audible. Just press play and follow along. So simple. And I love it because that's for me. I like simple stuff. And listen to it because the Bible says you will be blessed for listening and reading it. And allow the Spirit of God to minister to you. And as we come in, week in and week out, and dive into these three chapters, I know God's going to do an amazing work. I know He's going to reveal Himself to you guys. And I'm confident of that because He loves you more than I do. So, ask that God would reveal Jesus to you. And get into this book. Read it for yourself. And make up your mind to understand this. Don't just put it away because you don't understand it. Read it. And those things that you don't understand, write down those questions and come back and we can talk about them after service.